You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn presents. Now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Well, hi, everyone, and welcome on in. What a story today. What a story. A story you're not going to hear like this, probably for the rest of your life. It is an amazing tale, and our guest today is here to share it with the world. And his name is Brian Seeley. Now, Brian, welcome to the show. First of all, you describe yourself as a, and I quote, ethical hacker. Isn't that kind of like saying, well, a friend of mine once described a blue-collar thief versus a white-collar thief. He's told me that the white-collar thief, he steals by finesse. And the blue collar does not. They usually head straight to jail. Now, is a rose still a rose by any other name? What is an ethical hacker? That's a very good question. Um, to address the other thing, I think white collar crime probably worse because it'll hurt a lot more people. But we tend to, you know, oh, well, he, you know, he's got a nice shirt on. You know, he dry cleans, so he must be okay. Ethical hackers are a little different, but similar concept. We are the... We're the guys that companies hire to break into their company specifically to tell them where we would have gone in. You want to hire me to break into your car to tell you what's the easiest way to break into your car so you can then fix that thing. Same thing goes for your house or your company. So we can find a way in via the website or usually it's an employee who opens an email, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Do you consider yourself the very first person ever to hack in not only to the FBI, but to the U.S. Secret Service? And if you do, how do you know that to be the case? I don't think that I'm the first person to gain unauthorized access. I know that I'm one of the first, if not the first, to go free after wiretapping both agencies uh, in a, not a publicity stunt, but more like a demonstration uh, trying to fix a problem, let's say. Right. And, and who were you yeah, demonstrating to? The the problem was, it kind of still exists, but the idea is criminals have been taking advantage of consumers globally and in our country as well on Google Maps, Yelp, White Pages, any sort of telephone directory type service by manipulating the search results so that they appear at the top, even if they don't actually exist as a real company. So it's a, whether it's a locksmith or a carpet cleaner, or a painter, or a landscaper. Anyone who goes to, let's say, your house to do work, you wouldn't necessarily go to their office. Like, how often would a pool cleaner need to go to his own office? That kind of thing. So I demonstrated that the results could be manipulated easily, and part of that demonstration was a very poor, thought-out plan to show how serious it could get. And I wiretapped the Secret Service and the FBI doing so. And you called it a very poor thought-out plan. Oh, it's easily the dumbest 
maybe smartest, but also dumbest thing I've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, do you consider yourself right now as you sit there today, do you consider yourself one of the luckiest human beings on the face (laughs) of this earth? I'm serious. Really? One of the luckiest. You have no idea. Yes, absolutely. Do Um, you know how this plan of yours could have gone south real fast and affected your entire, entire life. There are people in jail forever for selling marijuana. Oh, isn't that the truth? I'm just saying, like, in, I live in a state where it's legal now. You could, as one of uh, a pretty famous comedian said, you could tape it to your forehead, do whatever you want. Well, like, it's, it's legal it's in the state where I am as well, yes. It's very comical to me. It's insane. Um, it has uh, the keys need to be open to the doors. Anybody in there for that crime needs released with an apology. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Apology maybe it might, might be a stretch. The the ego is of the government t- tends to be a little little big. But from a from a luck standpoint, yes, I I have a really close Jewish friend who says I'm his lucky charm. And when, when your Jewish friend tells you to go buy lottery tickets, then maybe you, you've got something. <laughs> All right. You know, <laughs> you mentioned the ego. If there are times in life in this country, and I'm sure others, I can't speak for the others because I've never lived in another country. But in this country, we have egos on parade And oftentimes, what is on the actual law books takes second priority to the ego trip of the persons involved bringing the case against someone. Now, you could have very easily spent the entire rest of your life, including a minimum, minimum of 20 years in the pokey of federal prison for what you did, wiretapping the FBI, wiretapping the U.S. uh, Secret Service, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But instead, did I hear you say they looked upon you as a hero? I walked into the Secret Service office before I got caught, which was a kind of a key, I think, in this whole process was they didn't know it happened and because no one did. And instead of waiting to get caught, because if, if that happens, oh yeah, you're in big trouble. And I mean, they're raiding your house and they take all your stuff and then and that's it. And then if you eventually get out of prison, you're never touching a computer ever again. And I don't have skills outside of like computers. I didn't learn how to talk to girls until I was in my thirties and I'm not even that good at it. So like <laughs> the idea being, oh. I need like, this was a lucky break be able to go in and say, Hey, I was doing something. It was stupid. Yes, I know. Also, here's what, here's why. And after a few hours of explaining in the guest suite at the secret service, they let me go. They made me say it over and over and they made me tell the story over and over again. When you went there the first time, including to the FBI for the first time, didn't they throw you out of there? No, the, the FBI hung up on me first. Right. They didn't even want to hear from you. What did they think? They, they thought you were a kook. Yeah, but here's the thing. Of the, the two or three calls that I listened to between the Secret Service and the FBI, two out of the three were kooks. Like, 
tinfoil hat crazy people. Like one lady was calling because she wanted to speak to the inspector general of the Secret Service. And the guy on the phone very professionally said, we don't have one of those. Sorry. Like there is no inspector general of the Secret Service. And she's like, well, and then blah, blah, blah. And pigeons are robots. And it was just this very... Oh, I see. They deal with this all the time. People want to feel important and they want to call into these phone numbers, which are accessible. And that was that. And that's part of the problem. They don't have any idea of how to sort out the crazy people from the ones who are telling the truth. And some idiot calling in saying, I wiretapped you. I'd like to turn myself in. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that happens because that doesn't happen. No one does that. Right. Yes. That would be be stupid. Well, (laughs) to Monday morning quarterback the game, okay, you turning yourself in and saying to the Secret Service, saying to the FBI, listen, here is what I did, even though it took time to get them to believe you and finally hear you out. The fact that you turn yourself in is why you're on your own in your own domain, not in federal prison, talking to me right now. Correct. Uh, I, I, as much as I would love to hang out with fellow Marines again, Guantanamo Bay is not where I would like to do that, and I can't really pull off the color orange. It, I'm so I'm way too white to pull off orange. It washes me out. Right. Okay. And for those that that, uh, do not know, our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Seely, is an ethical hacker quote unquote he's world renowned and he became that way as a hacker due to the fact that he's one of the very first individuals ever to wiretap the u.s secret service and the fbi you are also one of the few one of the proud a u.s marine now did the marines throw you out or are you still retired from there no i got a i did one enlistment i got a normal discharge and that was well before, because uh, I enlisted in 2002, right after 9-11. And right around, yeah, I think it was about the same time that the actor like Adam Driver was in. And um, So it was a while ago. And this all happened in 2014, I want to say. So it's been, it was, it's been a minute. Right. Um, 2014 I, is when you hacked in to both of those, the Secret Service and the FBI. Correct. Right. And I've, I've been out of. I've been out of shape out of the Marines for so long. I don't think the phrase once a Marine, always a Marine applies anymore. Like you get that dad bod thing going on and it just, yeah. So that's what we, and I sit at a computer all day. So now in 2014, you were married, weren't you? Correct. Uh, divorce right around that time. Right. What did your wife think? And well, let me just cut <laughs> we to the chase. We were already going through a divorce, so she didn't not think I was an idiot. Okay. You know was I mean? the <laughs> hacking, was that one of the main reasons is what I'm asking? It Was no, the that hacking was, that was, cause of the that, divorce? No, the divorce proceedings, the split started in like 2013. I got clean and sober and had a lot more time on my hands because all of a sudden I'm single. And we had one kid at the time. We had we split right as we conceived our second one, which is such a great plan. And I had a lot more time and I wasn't going to bars and I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing drugs. And I had all this spare time, nothing to do. And I was bored. And is that a good excuse? Not really. But no, the, she, she already thought I was an idiot before we, we split. Okay. Now I thought you had three kids, not two. I have a foster daughter who is 21. She was my stepkid during the marriage. 
Um, I became her foster parent after the divorce for a couple of years. Yeah, two biological, one adopted. Right. Your ex-wife was the foster mother of that daughter. No, she was the biological mother of that daughter. Oh, okay. All right. Very, very well. From a prior relationship, I assume. Correct. All right. Very well. Now, are you still involved in the children's lives or no? I have full custody of the two youngest. I have a 12-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son. They live with me full-time. And then I have, I see the 21-year-old as often as you see a 21-year-old. You had a hard time talking to girls until you were, what, 30, (laughs) 35, 32? I wouldn't say I'm any good at it now either, to be honest. Did that have anything to do with uh, your marriage, the failure to communicate there with her? (laughs) Actually, no. Have you seen the show Friends? Oh, many times. You know how Ross married a lesbian? I will. I, I... How much further into this analogy do you need me to go? Okay. Okay. No, 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 no. We don't need to go any further than that. But we are all we are all very good friends now. My ex-wife and her partner are you know, we I invite them over for Thanksgiving. We all hang out. Like it's great. It took a while. It took some conflict, uh, divorce, mediation, so on and so forth. But we had a mutually a good divorce, finally. And everyone's happy. The kids get to see both their parents whenever they want. And I couldn't be happier. That is excellent. And plus, it was good on both of your behalves that you adopted or whatever you call the term to your foster child. I, I think that was great. My ex-wife was going through some tough times and her daughter, when she was like 13 or 14, after we had split, we, you know, she didn't have any solid parenting and the state asked if I would be willing to watch her for a while and ended up working out. But yeah, it's kids deserve a chance. You know what I mean? Right. Were you incarcerated for any length of time at all while either the FBI or the Secret Service decided what they were going to do with you? No, I was in a room for four hours, but technically they told me I wasn't detained and I was free to leave, which I didn't really feel like I was, but they, I was never handcuffed. I was never under arrest. Boy, you are, oh my God. (laughs) Do you believe in angels? Let me put it to you that way. (laughs) I, I certainly believe in this. There's been more than enough things happening in my life that luck doesn't seem to quite cover it. Boy, I'm telling you, 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 this could have gone south so quickly because in the last seven, eight years, whatever it was, they prosecuted for the very first time domain name theft. And I'm sure you may have heard about the case. They stole domain names by hacking in to someone's email, by getting the GoDaddy passwords or whatever. They took the domain name from the rightful owner, and it was one of these domain names that had three or four letters, one of those high-demand people like those short-lettered .com names. Will you agree? Agreed. It's shorter. It's easier to remember. Nike.com. Ace.com. Yes. yes. Yeah. And that's what this person had. They hacked in to the GoDaddy account, which they got the information by hacking into the email. They went over to GoDaddy. They switched the domain name to themselves. And then from there, they took the domain name and sold it. For $100,000, if not more, but it was a minimum of $100,000, and that put the party 
in federal prison for five years, I believe, not to yep. mention, not to mention the probationary term, et cetera, et cetera, and what's going to happen once the individual was out. And that was for domain name theft, which was probably a lesser crime than the two you committed. Will you agree oh, with that? Substantially. The, the amount of calls that got recorded was in the number ballpark of about 40. Uh, before I walked in the next day, each call is like five years in prison. Oh, yeah, for each one so, of them. Yeah, oh, yeah. So if you're going to commit a crime, make sure it's so new or no one's done it before and don't make a profit off of it. And mm. then also be really lucky. I don't know how else to say, like, don't do it. Like, I've been told very, very specifically. You will not get away with it again. Please yes. don't do that. Oh, and I tell believe everyone that. you know. I believe that. I don't know why you thought you'd get away with it the first time, even though you did turn yourself in. Do you not believe that the Secret Service has security, quote unquote, cyber IT related security that's at least going to examine and audit those sites every so often? You say that like I planned it to work and like I thought it all through. If I had thought it all through, I probably wouldn't have done it. Right. But, okay. I'm going to go with that. This this doesn't leave me looking great, but it's the only thing that really works from an explanation standpoint. Like, I, I guess they do have the best cyber people in the world. And yes, they would have caught me. And yeah, that would have been really bad. Oh, my. Oh, my. All right. What's this about you uncovering 20 plus million social security numbers? Where did that come from? Oh, that was a friend of mine and I were looking over a type of hack that made a certain type of server on the internet vulnerable. And this type of server was, it, think of it like Microsoft Windows. You buy, you buy a laptop from Best Buy, right? And you go home and it starts asking you to update your computer in about a month or a week. And you skip the update. Two years go by and you continue to skip the update. And everybody who bought that laptop from Best Buy, all 2 million of those people or 100,000 or whatever it is, all skip the update. And all of those laptops get hacked. Whose fault is it? Is it Microsoft because they had the problem? Or is it the person who didn't update the software? Would you mind if I answer that? <laughs> Please say yes with a question of my own. Please, go ahead. Do you live in a home or do you live in an apartment? Just for the live, sake of my question. I live in a home. If you go to the grocery store and you leave the front door of your home unlocked, I don't mean open, I mean no, no, yeah, unlocked, unlocked, and I come in there and steal your TV and whatever else that, that I want to steal, is it your fault for leaving the door unlocked or is it my fault for for being a thief? There, there's the answer to your question. Well, let's say it's a different set of circumstances because in this in in the tech world, every single house let's consider every house like an address with, as an IP address. Everyone on the internet can see everyone else. So what criminals are doing is they have automated computers, they have scanners essentially looking at every house, going. Is the front door unlocked? Is the front door unlocked? Is the front door unlocked? A million times a second, every single one of them. So it's imperative to have a firewall. If you don't, it is a guarantee that you will be hacked immediately. Yes, the criminal is 
definitely responsible, but you could have done something about it. And I don't know how to be more clear that it is a guarantee. I promise you, if you took away your firewall, all of your stuff would be on the internet, period. Okay. What about Windows? They're supposed to have one in there built in. If you, well, yeah, you can turn it off or you can forget to update it. And the updates, if they aren't applied, make your computer vulnerable because of some problem in the software that was fixed, but you didn't want to apply the fix. Let's say a manufacturer makes something and all of a sudden your car needs to be recalled. A part needs to be switched. You don't switch it and it flips on the freeway and kills your family. It's not not your fault. You didn't make the part that was defective, but you did not fix it when you were told. You There's a lot of things like this. If you leave food on the ground in front of your house, ants are coming. If you leave food on the floor, ants are coming. You can be mad at the ants all you want, but you knew they were coming if you left food on the floor. Right. I understand. I see what you're saying. I think that, well, it's it's a personal topic for those of us who have seen the damage that these hackers can do. Do have you, you ever not had ants? Oh, they're, they're, I, they're, they're terrible. <laughs> uh, well, they have carpenter ants that actually can eat the wood. They're worse than regular ants. Why do they call them carpenter ants? Carpenters build stuff, not eat it. <laughs> don't, don't ask me, but I wouldn't want a part of any of them. But I, oh my, it's a personal issue with people Because do you think that hacking into someone's computer, be it you or the next guy or some guy over in South America in Brazil or Costa Rica or wherever they are or Russia, do you view that to be any different than the person who breaks in the front door of your home? Here's a here's a good question that doesn't really have an answer. It's a it's designed to make you think. So I live in Seattle. If I fly to Vegas and I gamble, it is completely legal. Now, if I fly back to Seattle and Seattle decides, okay, you went to Vegas and gambled, that's illegal. But it wasn't legal where I was in the jurisdiction that I was in. Now, some countries don't have the same hacking laws. Some countries you can do drugs. For example, Japan. It is extremely hard to get drugs and access to drugs, and you will be deported immediately if you are found as a foreigner to have any sort of drug whatsoever. But mushrooms were legal and sold on the street until 2002. I know because I lived there and I could do mushrooms for 30 bucks and they were completely legal. So when I joined the Marine Corps, they're like, have you ever done drugs? I'm like, well, is it drugs? Are they illegal if I did them in a country they were legal in? And the recruiter goes, nope, no problem with me. And that's how I just that, you know, I didn't do illegal drugs because I didn't live here. So Mm. if I hack your computer from a country that doesn't have hacking as a crime, are you going to tell me that your laws apply to everyone, but their laws don't apply to you? If from a jurisdiction standpoint, like it's a libertarian sort of question where if you live in Seattle, are you going to be prosecuted for gambling in Vegas? Mm. Some, Some countries don't care, but I definitely... I would definitely side with certain things, especially with hacking. You can reach and do damage. You can actually cripple infrastructure. You can shut down businesses. That shouldn't be part of your list of freedoms. Your right to have freedoms shouldn't be including the ability to affect other people's lives with that little effort. You should not be able to hack someone. doesn't matter where you live. Right. Do you envision in your mind that someday somebody or some 
company, some entity, somebody, for example, like Microsoft or Apple, somebody of that stature or an entity of that magnitude will create a computer where you ain't gonna hack it. Is that possible? Or is anything possible, but you're not going to speculate? It's not practical or desirable from, we don't know which companies are building in backdoors for government agencies because they don't publish that because, you know, secrets and stuff. If the NSA or the CIA or whoever, whatever three-letter agency in our country has access to some secret backdoor, the, what has seemed to be the protocol is once they notice criminal organizations using that backdoor, if they discover a zero-day vulnerability, they will publish the vulnerability and have the manufacturer fix it. So they won't, they don't want anyone else to be using that secret backdoor to spy on people, only them. So they're taking their ball and going home. So they don't want you to have the ability to spy on your neighbors. They just want to be the people spying on people. So from a, we are ethical, we are moral. Therefore, we're doing these things for good reasons. But if the criminal gangs get a hold of this backdoor, then we're all going to be in trouble. So we'll shut down that operation when it, when we notice other people are doing the same thing. Like if a lockpick for a certain type of car, if they notice criminals have it, that's it. Game over. Right. But won't they develop another lock where it's going to be extremely difficult? So, that, so no one can get in? We're actually in this debate right now with encryption, with with true end-to-end encryption where my device can communicate with your device with no one, and I mean no one, being able to read it, not even the service provider like WhatsApp or whoever. If no one can read it except for me and you, the government doesn't like that. They want to be able to break into that communication. And it usually falls under the guise of, but terrorism, but terrorists. They're using encryption to hide what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But also, backdoors don't stay secret. So if you build in weakness into a perfect system and only you have access to it, somehow people manage to get access to it because people are clever. And they'll spend the time looking for it and they'll find it. And it doesn't, it's not a guarantee that someone finds out that someone else has access to it. So now it's not the government just snooping on its own citizens. It's criminal organizations, terrorist organizations, whoever. So there's a big debate among Apple and Microsoft and these other big companies right now about encryption. And like Australia tried to make legislation. I don't know if they were successful about end-to-end encryption being illegal. And they've tried to make the same thing happen here recently. Would you support a law for U.S. citizens residing in the United States to be prosecuted for felonies multiple if they are, while in the USA, hacking in to other people in the USA's computers? Would you go that far? That's already a felony. Oh, it is right now. Oh, yeah. Okay, I wouldn't know because I I don't have the expertise to do it. I did not grow up. When I graduated college, uh, Brian, there was no such thing as cell phones. There was no such thing as computers in people's homes. I assume you're much younger than me, so you grew up in this computer era. And when did you have your first computer? As a kindergarten kid, did you have a little tablet? Or- I- when did you I get your my, first? My first computer was 1984. How old were you? Two. 
Oh, my. my. Who gave it to you? My dad. And what was on it? Nothing. It was, a, it was the children's first, games. Barely. It was the first Mac. Like it was paint and maybe like, I can't even remember. There was, uh, there was some sort of catapult, not or tank game or something, but that was so rudimentary. It was, it was the, one of the first Macs ever. So 1984, I was two years old. Was it one of the kind that had the monitor and the mainframe all in one, one piece? Yes. Oh, it was a floppy disk drive. I remember those. I remember those. Oh, my. I'm showing my age. But at any rate, by the time you went to kindergarten and first grade, were you any good by then or no? By middle school, I was getting paid 15 or 20 bucks an hour to help people fix problems on their computers. And who was paying you? Other family members in the community I lived in. So, family friends. I tutored a kid uh, in eighth or ninth grade on how to use a computer, install stuff, set up a printer, connect to the internet. By 97, 98, when the internet was starting to become more available, yeah, I'd help people with whatever. And it was an easy way to make 20 or 30 bucks an hour. Were you a good student at school otherwise or no? You just had computer talent. No. Well, I, I was I was capable. I just didn't live up to potential, according to every report card ever. I think I was bored. I didn't like the pace. Uh, I went to a really good school. But yeah, I I got good grades until 10th or 11th grade. And then it all sort of tanked when I discovered alcohol, drugs and other fun things. Not women. Partly that. That was it was in the like when you when you first start drinking, it makes it easier to talk to women. But it doesn't make you good. Mm-hmm. That they describe that, I believe, as liquid courage. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. When <laughs> when did you decide to become a U.S. Marine? I enlisted when I was nineteen, right after nine eleven. Right out of, uh, but you were right out of high school, I take it. Yeah, I was a couple years out. I graduated in two thousand. Right, and then you did did the school know you were good? at the computer side did they ever use you or, or or try to get you in a computer class that was advanced or help the teacher by maybe giving a speech to the class or did they just yeah, ignore right. your talent i didn't know i was any good with the computer stuff until i was probably around 30 i mean mm. i was always on computers but i didn't have there was nothing that would have said anything significant and what ultimately clued me in was I like puzzles. I like finding a challenge. And, and once you start going down the rabbit hole of like, okay, well, what if this leads to this? And if I can do this, you start realizing like, oh, wow, you actually, you can look up almost anything you want to know. Like if you want to know what Joe Pesci's cat's name was, you can find it out. I don't know if he had a cat, but you know what I'm saying? The idea is if you're willing to take curiosity plus a little bit of work, it can lead you pretty far. So you, you can go and pull up schematics for buildings and learn architecture you can teach yourself almost anything and i'm willing to bet you can make any degree at any ivy league school out of a youtube you can find youtube videos to supplement it to completely replace everything you've gotten in college it's all out there every every word is in every combination is almost on youtube so if you're willing to look so that curiosity getting diagnosed with adhd getting divorced getting clean and sober all of a sudden my entire life shifted to where I had the time. I had nothing to do. I needed something productive rather than destructive. It took me a while to figure out how to do that. Uh, but yeah, I like helping people. I like educating the public, which has led to being in a public speaking sort of career. I like helping people figure out how to improve. I like protecting people from those who would take advantage of it. What was but the also, first thing you ever hacked? 
That was it. That was the Secret Service thing. That was the first hack job you ever did? I told you I'm not smart. Oh, well, no, 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 no. You had, <laughs> I am I disagree with that. Uh, how about, are you talented? I, Did you take to, to people hacking? People seem to tell me that, yes, it seemed to be a skill set that I have been given and blessed with, yes. Is it a fair statement to say that you took to hacking computers like a fish did the water? Like a white person to cheese sandwiches. Yeah, all right. All right. I'll go with that. Ladies and gentlemen, we are past the halfway point. Our guest today is a world-renowned hacker. His name is Brian Seely. He is an, quote, ethical hacker, end quote. He's one of the first human beings ever to hack not only the FBI, but the U.S. Secret Service. And he lived outside of a prison cell to tell us about it, which is exactly what he is doing right now. If your family had A, B, and C, and D information on a computer, and some human being, and I'm being very friendly by that term, comes in and hacks into it, aren't you going to be upset? Yeah. And would you like to see an individual like that prosecuted yourself? Yes. I don't see it's pretty clear that it's a crime and there's, there's almost no reason whatsoever to break into somebody else's machine with good intent. Like, Oh, I was just going to come into your house and clean. Like, yeah, right. Like, Uh. like, Oh, these drugs aren't mine. These aren't my pants. Mm -hmm. Like No, that never, never flies. Yeah. No, that is so true. I, I don't know. Um, it is, it is, it's a personal choice that people, they want to use the computer, I would say 99 out of 100, I would think and I would hope would want to use the machine for what it truly is, and it's a godsend. I woke up one day and realized how important it was when I started to go to the auctions and to the uh, garage sales, and there'd be a full set of Encyclopedia Britannica, a full set of, uh, what was the other one that everybody had? World Book, Encyclopedias. Five, oh, yeah. $5, $2. And I'm saying, what? It was hundreds of dollars if you bought those encyclopedias years ago. And nobody buys the encyclopedia. You can find everything you need about whatever subject matter you're interested in. It's right there for you. But it can never get updated. And if you lose a book, then you're just not going to know anything about the letter S. Yes. Yeah. Oh, isn't that true? Yeah. But you know, those pages, when they were trimmed in gold, real gold or whatever that is, boy, they look good. They did look sharp, but like now you, I don't even own a DVD player. So like with bookshelves and the amount of bookshelves you would need, most people had them on their shelves to look a certain way, not because of a thirst for knowledge. Oh my! And now, I mean, how many how many of your encyclopedia books did you actually read? Oh, you would look them up per what it was your teacher wanted you to look up. You didn't read it for pleasure usually. No. No, the owning it part was a. Uh, it, it was better to own it than to actually be reading it. Right, that isn't that the truth? Now, kind of having like decorative china. It's like, oh, that's the good china. We're not going to use that. Yeah, so we're like, not going. Are you serious? And what? you're going to have a china cabinet that's all glass? <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. That's nonsense. How about the living room in people's homes that nobody sits in? 
<laughs> right. Mm-hmm. We had one of those. Oh, we had one of those growing up. Like, no, that's mm-hmm. guests and company. You like, talked well, about your Jewish friend. How about the kitchen that is never used? Right. All right. Well, let's just move forward. What? No, it's part of it's, it, it. There's so many weird traditions. Isn't that the truth? Absolutely. What went wrong over at the site LinkedIn? People know LinkedIn. That's where everybody puts their resumes. What did you do over at LinkedIn where you found some flaws? Oh, that was every major website goes through a period of they come up with an idea, they build the site, scale it up. A lot of people start using it. And what people have found that works is getting a community of people to conduct pen tests, which are like hacking exercises against them to find the problems before the bad guys do. LinkedIn is not an exception. What I ended up figuring out was I could make up a bunch of guesses for email addresses of famous people. And those guesses would be like Brad Pitt at iCloud.com or, you know, whatever I wanted to do. Hotmail.com, iCloud, Apple, Gmail, whatever. And then put them into my contacts on my phone, upload them to LinkedIn. And I had thousands of these guesses. And what LinkedIn would try to do is suggest people to contact that you're already in possession of their contact information. So they'd say, oh, well, we took all 10,000 of the email addresses in your phone. We matched 500 to existing people on this site. How would, would you like to send them an invite? Sure. And then the next page afterwards was a list of all the email addresses that they didn't have on their site. These are all the ones that haven't joined LinkedIn yet. This is the assumption that every email in your contact book is real. So I got a list of which email addresses were not real from LinkedIn, which then if you subtract that out of your initial list, you're left with all the real ones for celebrities or CEOs or whoever. And did you bring that to their attention? Oh, yeah. Do you believe the problem is now corrected or no? Completely. No, they fixed it immediately and they sent me a bunch of T-shirts and stickers and mugs. (laughs) Right, right. So what are you, a, a sponsor now for them or? No, 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 no. It was just like, it was a novelty. It was fun to be able to help. I I ended up meeting a couple of famous IT people or tech people, Mark Cuban included, uh, out of the deal. Because those are the people I wanted to meet, like Steve Wozniak, the founder of Apple. Apple. Uh, now, Mark Cuban was on that TV show Shark Tank. Isn't he a billionaire? Uh, I believe he is. I don't uh-huh. know how often he counts, but I'm pretty sure, yes. A billionaire with a B, as in Boston. Billionaire. What did he want with you? He ended up, uh, I ended up getting his private email address and then telling him and just saying, oh, I just wanted to meet you. This is how I got your email. And he thought that was kind of neat. So he, uh, I ended up working with another friend, working on an app that he had just launched called CyberDust, which ended up becoming Dust. It's a, like a messenger for privacy. Right around the time Snapchat started. So this was a few years ago. And yeah, he was impressed with you know what I'd been able to pull off. And he's an interesting person to send emails to and get responses back that I never thought I would. Interesting guy, for sure. Do you still communicate with him ever? I think the last time I talked to him was a year ago. Uh-huh. I don't have any. I don't have many reasons to be like. I don't want to waste his time either. Right, I see. Billionaire, right? They uh, lead a much faster paced life than I ever have. I'll tell you that. 
I'm not great with basketball, and he owns the whole team. So, you know, it's just different. <laughs> Very much so. Now, you describe yourself as working for two years on what is called, quote, the dark side. What is the dark side, and what did you do for those two years? Prior to getting divorced, I worked with a company that manipulated search results, which is how I got to the whole Secret Service wiretapping thing. Did someone teach you how to do that? No, I just sort of figured it out with a boss who had, because initially it started off with, hey, put this information onto these directories. And after a couple of years, I realized these are not real companies. These are all fictitious made up places with a phone number and a website for companies that don't exist. If you go and look on, for example, uh, Bing Maps and you look for locksmiths in Redmond, Washington, you're going to end up with more locksmiths in the search results than there are legal locksmiths in the entire state of Washington. <laughs> so something's uh, wrong. Yeah, boy, isn't that, that's an understatement. Google, Google does an amazing job of policing their environment compared to everyone else. But at the end of the day, if I, if I ask you what makes a legal business legal, what, what would you say it is? The citizens themselves being honest. No, it would be like a business license saying that you are allowed to conduct business in the state or in the city that you're in. If you start a if you start a bakery or if you start a landscaping company or you're a plumber, you've got to get licensed, bonded, insured, or you can't deal with customers. I'll you're, bet you, you in you, any city right now, I'll show you men with lawnmowers cutting grass that ain't got no license at all. Correct. But they're not doing installations or pools, probably. You mean major are, construction? Correct. That yeah, I'll go hard, along with that. I'll, I'll go along case. with that. Yes. And if you get caught doing plumbing or anything like that without a license, you're in big, big trouble. So these other sites, they don't check the legal status of a company. They just put up whatever anyone puts up. You submit your information. That's it. No checks. Mm -hmm. So you got started and, and it was a boss that directed you to do this, this, and this. And you found out that all of these things you were working with were non-existent companies solely designed to manipulate the search results. Correct. And isn't that's what they refer to in IT as SEO, right? Search engine optimization. Correct. That's, that's a loose term for it, but yes. And you would consider yourself, I'm sure, an expert in SEO? To some degree, I'd put myself in maybe the 1% of people who understand, or at least how it used to be. I probably could do fairly well nowadays, but I don't do that for a business. Right. And what do you do for a business right now? And let me just take a wild guess. You wouldn't happen to be a cybersecurity expert, would you? Oh, that's a pretty good leap. Uh, <laughs> I work for a company uh, called Sciemptive Technologies out of Washington, and they make a next generation security firewall, all sorts of different software and hardware devices that will do a much better job of protecting consumers than what is currently available. Uh, it's one of the first times I've ever been excited in the last 15 years about a piece of technology that I actually that I saw it and was like, wow, I want to be a part of this. I also do a fair amount of public speaking or webinars, um, getting ready to launch or do a podcast as I'm getting more organized. But idea being, I, I, I'm a single parent, so I raise my kids uh, and I try to do as much stuff within the realm of tech 
that falls under protecting people or educating people. Give me the name of that high-class firewall you were just talking about. I want to look into that. Sciemptive, C-Y-E-M-P-T-I-V-E. And I'll, I'll message you later but so you can post it. But uh, Sciemptive Technology, so it's Sciemptive.com. Okay, very well. You wrote a book, and tell me about the book, Cyber Fraud, The Web of Lies. Tell me what the, that is about. It's about why I hacked the Secret Service, the problem I was trying to expose. It's the only book on the subject as far as I know. It's got some humor in it. It's not too technical that most it's most people can understand it. My daughter has read it. She's she probably read it when she was 10. She's like, "Daddy, this isn't good." I'm like, "Yeah, I know. That's why it wasn't successful." But she's my <laughs> she's my favorite person. Oh, the she's book the was book. not a was not a bestseller. No. No, and it wasn't it, I wasn't expecting it to be. I finished writing a rough draft of the second book, which I'm hoping will do better, which is not about the map problem at all. And I'll get back to you on that when I have a, a title and some other things, but I'm pretty excited about it. What is, quote, the web of lies? That was your term on that book you wrote. What are you referring to there? You mean the fact that not everything that's on the web it, you can believe? Is that what you're trying to say? That is exactly what I was trying to say. All right. Uh, are your kids any good with the computer? And are you teaching them? Both of them are, my daughter types over 60 words a minute. Uh, my son, and they both have limited screen time, but yes, they're both pretty good with computers so far. Do you expect either one of them to go into your past li line of work for two years? Uh, I hope not, but I hope if they do, they'll find their way back. Right. Oh, that could take years. <laughs> Depending upon the ego of who discovers them, that could trying take years. I'd keep them out example. of it. I'm trying to set a good example so they go the right way. Absolutely. There, there is no question about that. Brian Seeley, I don't know what to say about you other than the fact that if there are angels around about you, uh, they've done a very good job by keeping you out of the federal penitentiary because people have gone there for years for much less crimes than what you committed. And your savings grace, if there was one, is that you went to them and you fessed up to it and said, here's what I did. Let me teach you how to eliminate this problem and let's clean up these loopholes so nobody gets them. Now, did you clean them up? And have you heard since you did clean it up, if you did, that nobody else has penetrated it? There are other ways to get around it, but it's been significantly cleaned up since over the last 10 years. Google does the best job. I still recommend using Google Maps over everyone else. Right. Does the government ever call you and say, listen, we've had a problem here. Can you come into the office here at the FBI or wherever they need you and take a look at this and tell us what you see? Uh, no, not that. No. No, they didn't bring you back in person. Uh, no, something about being a smartass, I think. There's just right. sort of, uh, I think they got better things to do. Did they ever write you a check after they let you go and say, <laughs> this is for you to clean up A, B, and C that had nothing to do with you? This was Man, somebody I else. I wish. That would have been cool. Uh-huh. Didn't happen. Nuh-uh. Have you heard from our brothers and sisters at the Secret Service since they let you go? Yeah, once they told me. What did they say? Sure, don't do that again. Oh, I believe that. <laughs> I, 
I totally believe that. Absolutely. No, I'll tell you, I played at an affair once, and this was years ago. This was back when our beloved Jesse Jackson was running for president, if you can remember back that far. And wow, that was a while ago. Oh, that was a while ago, but he gave a speech at a local nightclub, which was not even the nightclub. It was a high-class place, but it was not the nightclub where I was known to have worked all the years that I did. It was one of our competitors, actually. But they brought me in, and he had Secret Service protection, and I was in my DJ booth working, and Lord Almighty, a Secret Service agent came in and asked if if he could use my telephone. And that was the phone that was a hardwired phone on the wall of the DJ booth. I said, sure, go ahead. So you see, I worked with the Secret Service and let him use my phone. What does that qualify me as? Nice. (laughs) Nice, right. I'm an expert at nothing computer-wise, would you say? I mean, if a Secret Service agent wants to use your phone, what what are your options? No? Mm Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Are they commandeering your vehicle? Like, President Jesse... Jackson, he ran for president in what, 84 and 88? Oh, it was some somewhere in the 80s, yeah. Yeah, 84 and 88. So he wasn't borrowing your cell phone. No. And you know who else was there in the, well, he was there as a special guest, Muhammad Ali. And he had wow. this, he had this little man next to him that would lead him from place to place to place. And he was, he was, I saw a Muhammad Ali in person that was dealing with the effects of a gentleman whose head had been pounded in far too many times, which is why that little man had to lead him everywhere he went and why he could barely talk. It was just a mumble. It was a little mumble like this. And it was very soft, was very difficult. But I'm telling you, no matter whether you're the heavyweight champ of the world or no matter who you are, when you get your head pounded in for a living, you're going to pay for that later. Brian, I'll guarantee you. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian Seeley. It's been a very interesting conversation. I must say that. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a lot of fun, and I'm happy to come back anytime. And if you find the other book, I'll send you a copy when I I get it published in about six months. It has been a tremendous conversation with an individual that has given me and you at home, you in your car, you, no matter where you are in the world, you're not going to meet very many people like this lucky individual who took his life and did something with it after doing something with his life that he really took a a chance that I would never take. And I'm glad it turned out well in his favor. His name is Brian Seeley. He is a world-renowned hacker. He is a cybersecurity expert. He is a former U.S. Marine, and he currently uh, works as a consultant, a keynote speaker, and you can bring him on to your organization if you want to get a hold of them real quickly brian if somebody wants to get a hold of you what do they do you can find me on linkedin or twitter brian seeley b-r-y-a-n-s-e-e-l-y or brianseeley.com or you just start start knocking on doors and eventually you'll find me right somebody when they open the door is going to say i know where he is i got him (laughs) all right before we run over time i just want to have you say 
good night, Brian. Good night, Brian. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, you have seen this individual on ABC. You've seen him on NBC, CNBC, CNN, Fox, and you've also seen him on TMZ with Harvey Levin. He's all over the place as a world-renowned hacker. Our thank you to Mr. Brian Seeley. This is Rick Flynn speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run. On behalf of myself and our guest, Brian, thank you all. Have a good day. The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.